0: You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027.
1: Alignment is not something you just do uh, to your car tires. I think very few companies in South Africa exist where incentives are even remotely aligned with shareholder value uh, there are some possible exceptions the likes of first round for example where incentives are aligned to net income after cost of capital uh, but generally it appears that remuneration committees and boards seem to think that if you align remuneration to metrics like EBITDA and revenue growth that this is value creative without realizing that these can and very often are grown while destroying value or economic value add over time and this lack of knowledge is quite remarkable as uh, the most powerful thing that one can do to improve performance is to align incentives with shareholder value. And there are some great examples of this Uh, in the US. You've got Ball Corp and John Deere where sustainably higher returns post-alignment were achieved. Now, how are shareholders going to get alignment with management here in South Africa? It's an age-old question to discuss this. i have invited two well-respected shareholder activists who enjoy tilting at windmills, Chris Logan of Opportune Investments and David Holland of Fractal Value Advisors. Guys, welcome. Chris, over the last two years, uh, you've worked closely with David, on numerous stories, numerous companies, Tongat, Nampak, Distel, Carp, Agri, just to name a few, and trying to get them to align with shareholder value. Uh, what's the starting premise for your interactions with these firms?
2: The starting premise would be to say, you know, the most powerful way to get performance is to align with shareholder value. And all of these companies where we've interacted, there's massive misalignment and value destruction and um bringing david into the picture is great because he's world-class authority uh, I, you know i think he's taken over from joel stern so he, he brings serious expertise so when you sit down with the ceo or cfo you've got a resource who knows the story backward mm-hmm. and um, we started getting a bit of traction but we've hit our heads against a lot of brick walls but you're starting to see a swing now. Even today, actually, on the REMGRO call, they're talking now about alignment as a strategic priority, which is a total change.
1: Wow, that is remarkable, a feather in the the cap. Uh, And I see in the Distel annual results as well, uh, that they actually um, adjusted their short-term and long-term incentives following interactions that you had with the Distel board. Just, Chris, take me through those interactions.
2: Yes, David and I met with the lead independent director and uh, RR, and then separately with the CEO and CFO, and uh, we basically said, look, you're not aligned, you're destroying value. It was very robust and quite emotional discussions, but to their absolute credit, notwithstanding that they had a 99% vote for their misaligned incentives, they embarked on on a process of change, and they've now changed to far more aligned incentives. So that was a big victory, if you like.
1: David, I just want to bring you in on the Distel question. I mean, what do you what do you link the long-term structural decline in Distel's De profitability to?
0: Uh, I think part of it would be their expansion into the rest of Africa. So, if you, in in I don't have access to management accounts, um, but if you looked at the return on 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 capital employed in South Africa, um, they've got some some very attractive returns and are generating good economic value. Um, I suspect in their in their African expansion, those returns are well below the cost of capital and could be contributing to their economic profit decreasing. So, um, I mean, Destel at this point in time is right around its cost in cap- capital. Um, but it has dropped it it had a a fairly attractive return on capital it's dropped since it's been dropping since 2007 so this is a you know this is a long decay it didn't happen overnight Uh, but i think a a lot of it will be due to some of the expensive acquisitions they made they bought the with this the scottish whiskey manufacturer which i think they overpaid for and that was five to ten years ago and then the african expansion um i think there's been too much emphasis on growing revenue in EBITDA and that's one of the things that Chris and I were bringing up now this is a, a company that used to use EVA and, and still have that expertise so why they ditched it was you know a bit of a a mystery to us but it's we're quite you know happy to see them them bringing it back online I mean it worked very well at SAP um some of the people at distel came from SAP um, mm. so for them to to be employing it makes perfect sense.
1: Uh, Richard Rushton and uh, and a few others as well they always said that, that was the best place to get an MBA was the SAB and uh, they were firm believers in economic value add uh, Chris to come back to some of the financial metrics that you see in your interactions maybe not just at distel but more broadly in South Africa is it more common to be using things like EBITDA and revenue growth uh, versus EVA to align incentives? Uh, is this endemic in your interactions?
2: Absolutely. To be precise, you know, it shouldn't just be EVA that you're using. It should be improvement in EVA. So even a good example like First Rand, they're still way off the mark. It should be. Im- Yearly improvement in EVA, which generates continuous improvement, and you align with that. And um, I don't know of one company in South Africa which does that. So there's vast room for improvement, and it's it's a virtuous circle once you get going on that.
1: Just share a little bit more about uh, the call that you had uh, with Remgro this morning. I I wasn't on that call. We were doing some other recordings this morning. But uh, what is the the change of direction that is being considered uh, by the Remgro board?
2: Well, they've now made uh, align remuneration aligned with shareholder value as a strategic priority. So that's pretty solid. And. They're aligning off RORC because they're saying that's closely aligned to EVA. So they've still got some way to go, but just with that move saying, you know, it's not a strategic priority, that's big progress. So Mm. I think they've opened the door. And, um, you know, we've done a lot of work with RemGro. We had great discussions at the RemGro AGM with Johan Rupert, where, you know, he also added some good... um, Uh, thoughts to it, you know, he he made it clear the reason why First Rand was so aligned was because the founders started off with big shareholding. So you align either through incentives or shareholding. You know, um, or both. The good companies in the States use both. And for instance, BallCorp, which we talked about, there there's an expectation that the CEO will have six times his annual package in physical shares physical shares, not options,
1: mm. Mm. and those
2: expectations are met. So, you know, the guys really do think and act like owners, and that leads to sustainably higher returns.
1: Well, I suppose the the key question here, though, is, is sustainability, because one can't just link performance through to... Uh, share um, options as well. Uh, you said physical shares, but uh, it's very easy to uh, manage a share price higher in an unsustainable manner, and we've spoken about this in the past, David. Uh, EoH springs to mind uh, as well. Uh, I want to bring this back, though, to the difference between ROIC and EVA, uh, and ROIC is a very, uh, it's a favoured metric. Um, why isn't it quite as solid as growing EVA incrementally over time?
0: Well, ROIC is a component of EVA, so you would have um, the ROIC minus the cost of capital times your invested capital to get to EVA. The reason why EVA would be important is because it's a natural part of a discounted cash flow valuation model. So you can either discount future free cash flows or you can discount future economic profits. Now, and you'll get the same, if you set up your valuation model correctly, you'll get the same value. The nice thing about the economic profit model is it gives you insight because the, the value of the, the firm to be the, the book value, so your invested capital plus the present value of all those economic profit streams. So if, if you're expected to, to generate um, economic profit that's positive, you're going to trade at a price to book premium. So a Mr. Price, for example, you know, brilliantly run company trades at a, at a big premium john deere um, who chris mentioned uh, ball these companies traded big premiums now if we look at the companies that are generating negative economic profit and destroying value your your Nampax and companies sappy companies of that nature um, they're generating a negative economic profit which results in a, a discount to book so the negative economic profit as chris mentioned isn't necessarily the problem and that's why a company's don't do it because they, they, they're, they're afraid of the red um, it's that improvement so as long as you're improving your economic profit you're improving the value of the business so that's where you really want to uh, mm. focus on why companies don't use it you know i i don't know rowick is a is a is a component so if, if you set up the uh, the components right you can you can proxy the economic profit and, and that's what they're trying to do Rowick, though, can be problematic uh, because, uh, and I think this was a case with Coca-Cola many years ago, if you're paying people on Rowick, and it's quite high, they might walk away from um, investments with a lower ROIC that are still above the cost of capital. So, in other words, they'll be leaving money on the table. So, you, you don't want that sort of distortion. It's okay if Rowick is coming down as long as you're investing in positive net present value projects. Okay, so it's very important for these boards and consultants to understand that very carefully because, uh, you know, abusive use of ROIC is also going to diminish value for, for, for shareholders and other stakeholders.
1: Chris, I want to come back to the issue of voting on the uh, on these issues. Distel, uh, as we mentioned earlier, had um, I think 99% um, voting shareholders voting for their previous remuneration policy before they then amended this policy. It seems to indicate that we've got a fairly cosy relationship with big um, shareholders, massive managers, and uh, the PIC, not really voting very critically on these incentives and the way you aligning shareholder value. Why is that?
2: Absolutely. Well, within that distill 99% was the PRC, Remgro, I think Coronation, Investec, you name it, Alan Gray. I'm not sure whether it's cozy or lack of knowledge or both. I think it's both. I think the guys don't understand this linkage. And, you know, that's where David should actually go on roadshows to all these institutions and explain, <laughs> you know, bit by bit, I it Together, um, so I think it's lack of knowledge. And yes, there is generally a cosy relationship. Um, of course, as these share prices drift lower, that relationship is becoming a bit more prey. But I think it's both lack of knowledge and coziness.
1: David, d- would would you go along with that? Uh, more more perhaps a, a lack of knowledge. Are, are you doing a lot to uh, spread the word of, of EVA and and Joel Stern?
0: You know, it's it's interesting um, because. I was working with South African corporations to go on these exact same things. Uh, Then I was in London for 10 years and and I came back here eight years ago. I still see the same problems. And I I still, I think, you know, a lot of it is too much focus on earnings. If, If you're looking for, for the devil, that's where it is. So, you know, people are looking at PE ratios. They're talking about earnings growth. And as I've mentioned on, on on previous programs earnings growth can lead you astray if you're getting paid to grow revenue EBITDA or earnings you can use debt to make expensive acquisitions or invest in uh, expensive projects that destroy value but get you paid and Mm -hmm. can grow earnings Uh, they can also put the company in great financial distress if you're using debt i mean there's many examples of that Mm -hmm. south africa Um, so Absolutely. Metrics, metrics are key, and, and you have to understand how they all relate to each other. And we're really where the company is in, in, in its industrial life cycle. Um, is it still at a, a growth stage or is it X growth? Because if it's X growth, then you can put much more focus on ROIC and efficiency improvements. If it's still at a growth phase, then you want to make sure managers are investing in positive NPV projects, even if ROIC is coming down. So growing EP is always going to be the imperative and is always related to the the value of the business.
1: Chris, coming back to the receptability of management teams and boards at this time, there's a a lot of attention. And I think uh, largely due to the fact that the South African economy has gone nowhere for the last uh, five to ten years. There's nowhere to hide anymore. I and mean, there's a lot of attention now from shareholder activists like yourselves, and I think of LB Saliers and Theo Boeta and a few others who, who raise these issues at AGMs. Uh, they, they still uh, tend to get <laughs> shouted down, though. Um, uh, do, do you think we're starting to see a, a shift and a sea change by, um, by boards who, who want to do the right thing per RemGro now?
2: Yes, I do. Look, obviously, RemGro, you can always link into their heritage, you know, which they explain as growing shareholder value since 1947. Um, I think it's the way you explain it too, you know, and perhaps the clearest way to explain it is owner managed companies outperform. Everyone would agree with that, even in times of tough economies. So if you look in South Africa, whether it's the Afrimats or the car tracks or the Bolamir cars, which are owner managed, they outperform their peers. And all aligned census is trying to do is to create a owner managed culture and you know either through incentives aligned to share the value like e v a improvement or to share ownership so I, I think it's important how you put it across, but I think people are becoming a bit more receptive you know, and yeah look with Remgro taking a lead that's that's a big step forward
1: mm. so. There,
2: somewhat
1: happy <laughs> there are still a few though who get rather upset um when uh when criticized uh, i'm not going to mention any names just yet on the show we're still doing a bit of digging uh but a rather large corporate that took umbrage at a conversation we <laughs> had recently david um how, <coughs> how should uh how should boards be be thinking about this now um and uh, and obviously creating that owner-managed culture is clearly the first prize here in order to ensure that incentives are, are appropriately aligned. How should they be structuring this in the correct manner so that you're also not taking on board too much risk?
0: Well, I think, first of all, you have to understand that this is a change management initiative. So it's not a matter of announcing to the world, as RCL Foods did um, you know, a few years ago, that they're going to use ROIC and then they, they tossed the metric out when it didn't suit their purposes to get paid it takes discipline, it takes understanding, it takes a lot of work, and people, you know, will give up, they'll fight against change. So see, so, and, and that's always going to be the, the, the first thing. And, and just to put that in perspective, um, in the studies that I did at Credit Suisse, if you talk about bottom quartile companies, so the companies that have the, the lowest 20, you know, the, the, the lowest quarter of, of uh, uh, return on capital performance, there's only a 17% chance that they're going to go to above average, a couple years later. So this is extraordinarily difficult. You know, so yes, you need absolutely need buy in from the board, you need buy in from the CEO, the CFO, they have to get behind it, but they have to keep pressing ahead. Um, So the first port of call after you get their buy in and commitment is then to make sure you've got the right KPIs in your operations. So even before you talk about pay, Um, you can already start implementing those kpis to to improve your capital allocation set targets for the the proper targets for the divisions that all are aligned with creating more economic profit for the corporation and then i think the the final stage is is the remuneration or at least you run that in parallel with implementing these uh, at the operating
1: And then, Chris, surely a lot of that pressure is also going to be um, sort of a a bottom-up pressure from shareholders. Uh, Surely we need to see a far more active approach by some of the major institutional shareholders in the country.
2: Absolutely. Look, of course, that's difficult. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to pick up the phone to someone at the PRC, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, who's our largest shareholder. But, yes, you do need to collaborate as shareholders, to drive change. Um, that should be part of the model and should be encouraged. If I could just make one point though, I think establishing an owner-managed culture de-risks a business. You know, if you just look, owner-managers, they're generally not gonna go out and buy a glass business when they got no expertise like NANPAC did. They're not gonna do crazy things. It's their money. They know how hard it is to, to make it. And so I think, you get higher returns and lower risk. And, um, you know, that's important because people are acutely risk-aware. I mean, one of the companies David and I worked on first was Tongard. Lack of owner-managed culture, crazy risk, you know, people turning a blind eye to essentially fraud. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: If, If the people had skin in the game, I don't think that situation would
1: ever develop. Yeah, and it, it's it's a model used so effectively in, in private equity as well, uh, to ensure that there is uh, appropriate incentivization and skin in the game. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for guys. Chris Logan of Opportunity Investments and David Holland of Fractal Value Advisors uh, on the issue of appropriately incentivizing management and uh, creating this owner-managed culture inside corporate South Africa that will hopefully uh, lead to better outcomes and uh, start to put the the period of the last decade of corporate scandals and underperformance uh, behind us.